All right. Do you have your Bibles with you? Yes. Let me see them. That's not a Bible. That's an iPad. <laughs> okay. All you high-tech people. Are there any old school folks in here who love the feel of leather? Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. All right. Whatever you got. Let's get ready. I want you to, first of all, open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 21. And, or chapter 22, rather. And while you're turning there, I want to say again that every year during the first part of October since 1991, I've set that time aside to specifically... Ask the Lord what's on his agenda for the coming new year and uh, anything that he might want to show me at that time, then that becomes my theme for that coming new year and I preach about it everywhere I go. I don't change it. I just keep building on it, building on it, building on it. This year, 2023, the theme that the Lord gave me was that it was the year of the maximum and the highest level attainable. And I have preached that all over the world, literally all over the world throughout 2023. Of course, we're still in 2023 and it still applies. I mean, you know, why settle for anything less than God's best? You, 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 don't, you don't have to stop doing that at the end of 2023. Just keep right on uh, receiving and, and pursuing God's best in every area of your life. Amen. As it's been said. And it's one of the lessons that I taught when I was sharing this message in various places. When Jesus talked about 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold, why not go for 100-fold if it's available? Amen. In fact, I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it talks about 200-fold, 300-fold, 400-fold. So apparently, 100-fold is symbolic of the maximum. Yes. The maximum. The highest level attainable. Yes. Amen? So... Uh, in one place, in Mark chapter 10, where Jesus was approached by the rich young ruler and asked Jesus, what must he do to inherit eternal life? He said, you know the commandments. He said, I've kept them from my youth. That's the reason he was a rich man. And he said, but there's one thing you lack. Sell what you have and give to the poor. And the Bible says that the man walked away grieved at that saying because he had much possessions or he had many possessions. Jesus turned to his disciples and said, uh, it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Not impossible, but hard. And the reason being is because most rich people, not all of them, I know a lot of rich people that, that don't do this, but many trust in their riches and think they don't need God. And so Jesus said, uh, it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And uh, the disciples responded with, well, then who can be saved? Now, that's not the way poor men would respond. Poor men would turn to one another and say, hey, guys, we got it made because we don't have a thing. But apparently they weren't poor, contrary to religious tradition. You have to remember uh, Peter, James, and John, they had just left the best day in the fishing business that they'd ever had in the history of that business. You remember they caught boat sinking, net breaking, loads of fish. Amen. And you don't think they ate them all before they followed Jesus. No, they sold them. 
They had the best day in the fishing business they'd ever had and then walked away from it to follow Jesus. And that's the reason they responded with, well, then who can be saved? We've left all, they said. So what they're saying is, uh, well, we're not, we're not poor men and we left everything to follow you. And you're saying it's hard for rich men to enter into the kingdom of God? Well, who then can be saved? He said, well, with men, it's, it's, it's impossible but, uh, or hard. But then he made this statement. He said, but any man that leaves father, mother, brethren, lands for my sake or the gospels shall receive in this time. Everybody say, in this time. Another, another translation says, in this age. He shall receive a hundredfold. A hundredfold. Now, I'm not reading from First Jerry. I'm reading from Mark. Okay? I didn't make this up. I didn't write it. I just believe it. Okay? Now, I've been challenged. I've preached on the hundredfold. Uh, I'm in my 54th year of ministry, and I've been preaching on the hundredfold ever since I've been in the ministry because I learned it uh, the first three months when I came to the Lord. In 1969, I heard Kenneth Copeland preach on the hundredfold. And uh, I turned to Carolyn and I said, well, that's, that's what it's going to take uh, for us because 30-fold wouldn't do us any good. Yeah. We were deep in debt from my business and personal debts. And uh, uh, I didn't have a lot to give. I was, I was giving faithfully with what I had. But 30-fold of that still would not even make a dent in what we owed. Sixty-fold would help, but hundred-fold would do a lot of good. So I like to say, Carolyn and I were forced to believe for hundred-fold because nothing else would help us. And, and God honored it. Now, I had someone challenge me uh, and say, you know, when Jesus talked about the hundred-fold, that was just a metaphor. He didn't really mean that. Now, this is a preacher who said that. Uh, he didn't really mean that a hundredfold. Uh, it was just a metaphor. I said, well, sir, would you mind telling me what a field full of metaphor looks like? He said, I don't understand. I said, obviously you don't. Would you open your Bible to Genesis chapter 26? It says there was a famine in the land and God spoke to Isaac, said, don't go to Egypt. You sojourn in the land that I will tell thee of. I will be with thee and I will bless thee. What's he saying? I'll bless you in a famine. The word bless means empower to prosper. I will empower you to prosper right in the middle of a famine if you will do what I'm saying. And the Bible says, Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. So sir, tell me what a field full of metaphor looks like. It wasn't a metaphor. It was real crops. And the reason I know they were real crops is the next verse says, and the Philistines envied him. How do you envy metaphor? Look at all the metaphor out there. It was real crops. Real crops. In fact, you could tell where Isaac's boundary was and where the Philistines' boundary was because theirs was scorched and his had crops. And the Bible says that the man waxed great. That's not a phrase we use in Texas. We don't wax great in Texas. 
and I doubt you wax great up here. But it means he increased and he, and he prospered. And one translation even says he grew richer by the day. Amen. Why? Because he received a hundredfold. Amen. So I don't, I don't, I don't try to argue with anybody. I just tell them, you're going to get what you believe for. I'm going to get what I believe for. Be it unto thee according to your faith. If you don't want to believe for the hundredfold, fine. I am going to believe for the hundredfold. Now, then another preacher said, well, Brother Jerry, if you received a hundredfold on every gift that you've sown, and my reply was, not yet. It's not over as far as I'm concerned. It's not over as far as I'm concerned. Now, would you like a good illustration of the hundredfold? Yes. Not yet, yes, because I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> I'm talking about maximum. Yes, sir. Going for the maximum. 1981, I'm preaching with Brother Copeland in uh, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. The old uh, uh, Coliseum there had about nine, ten thousand 10,000 people in the, in the meeting. And uh, I, I've, I've done every believer's convention Brother Copeland's ever had. I'm not sure he can do them without me. And anyway, uh, I had preached every day and uh, I got through with an afternoon service and Carolyn and I went to the hotel and Carolyn said, uh, are you going to take a nap before you go to the service tonight? I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just going to take my suit off and put my robe on and just sit here in the, in the living room of this suite. And she said, well, I, I, I'll have to have a nap. I won't be able to keep my eyes open while Brother Copeland's preaching tonight if I don't take a nap. I said, well, go on in the bedroom and, and you do that and I'll wake you up in time to get dressed and so forth. So I took my suit, up, saw, suit off and hung it in the closet, put my robe on, sat down on the sofa like this, propped my feet up on the coffee table in front and I put my hands behind my head and just leaned back on that sofa. I closed my eyes, but I wasn't asleep. I just, I just closed my eyes. And suddenly, I realized that Jesus had walked in the room. The Shekinah glory of God filled that room where I couldn't even see the furniture anymore. And Jesus appeared to me in that and said this to me. My people are in financial famine. And he said, and I'm going to reveal to you the keys that will bring them out. And there was a, a, a legal pad right here next to the sofa. I grabbed that legal pad so I could write everything he said. I filled up, completely filled up a yellow legal pad with what Jesus said to me. Now, it seemed like, uh, it seemed like he was there for hours, but it was only moments, which led me to believe that Jesus can say more in moments than most preachers can in a lifetime. Okay? And so uh, I wrote it all down. And in a little while, Carolyn, and, and then he, he left, but the, but the Shekinah glory was still there. Carolyn, it awakened her and she came in there in the living room and, and I could see her coming through the cloud and she said, what's going on in here? What, what, what just woke me up? I said, I just had an appearance of Jesus. Now, this is what impressed me the most with my wife because I don't get this response from a lot of people when they hear me tell this story. Most people want to say, what do you look like? Carolyn didn't say what he looked like. She said, what did he say? Yeah. See, that was more important. Yeah. What did he say? 
I said, well, sit down here, girl, let me show you what he said. And I read to her everything he said to me on that legal pad. She said, are you going to tell Brother Copeland about this? I said, no. She said, you're not? I said, no, you know, we've, he and I have worked together long enough. He'll pick it up in the spirit. I don't have to tell him. So we got dressed. We went over to the meeting. Uh, Gloria Copeland sitting right here on the front row. Next to her was, was Carolyn. Next to Carolyn was me. Next to me was Charles and Peggy Caps, And next to them was Norville Hayes. And uh, Brother Copeland uh, got up and he went through his preliminaries and he sang a couple of songs. And then he walked up to the podium and said, let's open our Bibles tonight. And he just stood there like this, just exactly like this. He looked around a little bit and looked back down at his Bible. And we don't know where we're supposed to open our Bibles. He hadn't told us yet. You know, inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> and he looked at his and he said, he, he said it again. Let's open our Bibles tonight. And he didn't tell us where. Then finally he did this. Jerry, God visited you today. Come tell us what he said. So I got up and went to the podium. And as I was walking up to the podium, he had his associate put a chair about this far from the podium. He sat down in it and he grabbed my coattail as I went by him to stop me. And then he said, you tell us everything Jesus said. You understand me, boy? Don't leave out a word. I said, yes, sir. And I went to the podium and I preached that night um, the message that the Lord gave me in that visitation. And I called it sowing in famine, sowing in famine. Now, the Lord had told me before I left the hotel room, he said, now, your ministry's in famine, financial famine. And he said, you set the example for the people. Now, I thought maybe I would do this backstage in the speaker's room after the service, okay? And so I took over with me there were 10 major departments of my ministry, uh, our evangelistic outreach, our Bible school, our television uh, ministry, our church, uh, 10 major divisions, my aviation department, everything. I took $1,000 out of each department, wrote a check for $1,000 out of each department. I had 10 $1,000 checks. And then Carol and I were building our dream house. And I took $1,000 out of our personal account. So I took over to that meeting with me 11 checks for $1,000 each. And I'm going to sow in famine. And God told me, if you will be obedient, I will give you the blessing of Isaac. Well, I went back and read the blessing of Isaac. He reaped in the same, uh, in the same year a hundredfold. Now this is October 1981. So if I'm going to reap in the same year, uh, God, you got two and a half months. <laughs> but I trusted him to do it because he told me that's what he would do. And so when Brother Copeland called me up there and I preached the message and then I challenged the people, if you're in, if you're in financial famine, sow in famine. The worst thing you can do when you're in famine is, is withhold your seed. Yeah. Proverbs says, uh, there is that scattereth and increaseth. There is that withholds and it tends to poverty. So I challenged the people and I said, but I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not going to do myself. So I'll sow the first seed. Brother Copeland, stand up here. And I sowed those 11 
$1,000 checks into his ministry. And then somebody said, well, if you could sow $11,000, you weren't experiencing famine to me. In some of those departments, it was the last $1,000 I had. So I, I sowed 10 out of my ministry and 1,000 personally and then challenged the people. And we had that night one of the greatest breakthroughs that we'd ever had in the history of those uh, believers' conventions. Shortly after that, I went to South Africa and I preached it in Ray McCauley's convention there. And at that time, they were in famine. And Ray told me afterwards, he said, we have never had such financial miracles in the history of this church after you preached sowing in famine here. I later found out, now that's the same meeting that I met Rodney Howard Brown when he still lived in uh, South Africa. I didn't know that it was the message that he heard that night and he and his wife, Adonica, sowed what they had believing to come to America. And he tells me today that that message that you preached in that meeting in 1981 is the message that got us to America. And he had me come to his church and he says, and everything you see here, and it's, a, it's a, an amazing ministry. He said, everything you see here, you are directly responsible for, for preaching that message to us. Amen. Amen. So I, I did what God told me to do. And then the next week, I was with Brother, uh, Brother Hagen in Tulsa. Brother Hagen wasn't in that meeting. We didn't have social media, you know, where you could watch it online or something back in those days. So he, he wasn't even aware of what had taken place there. So I left on Saturday to go back home. And then Monday, I was in Tulsa with Brother Hagen. And on Monday night, uh, Brother Hagen was preaching. He just stopped. He said, Brother Jerry, come up here. The Lord's just told me to do something. And I walked up to the front. And he said, uh, I'm about to sow one of the largest seeds I've ever sown. And uh, I assumed since he called me up there, they was going to sow it into me. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm already smiling. Glory. You know? <laughs> he said, I'm giving you my airplane. Now I sowed $1,000 out of my aviation account and I received less than three days later an airplane that was valued at a quarter of a million dollars. I call that a hundredfold. More than a hundredfold. Okay. The next night in the same meeting, a couple told me that when they left home to come to that meeting, that God had spoken to them to sow into my television ministry a hundred thousand dollars. They gave me a hundred thousand dollar check the next night. I sold a thousand out of my television ministry. Three or four nights later, I had a hundred thousand dollars. I call that a hundredfold. Before the end of December, before December the 31st, I had reaped a hundredfold on every one of those seeds. And Carolyn and I built our dream house off of that hundredfold that we received. And, and of course, over a hundredfold. And every department received no less than $100,000. Some of them even more than that. So when people tell me that hundredfold doesn't work, you're too late. Go tell it to somebody who'll buy that. I live by it. I expect it. 
If that were what I'm called to do, I, I have to have a hundredfold. Amen. And if you don't want to believe for it, and you only want 30 fold, I'll believe for my hundred fold and I'll believe for your 70 fold left over. <laughs> okay. No, I'm kidding you. So what I'm saying is why, why settle for 30 fold if you're going to have a hundred fold? Would anybody like to have a hundred fold? Does anybody need a hundred fold? Well, if Jesus said in this time, Notice he didn't say, and when you get to heaven, there'll be a hundredfold. No, in this time, in this time, look at somebody and say, I think that means right now. Amen. I'm still in this time. Hallelujah. So Carol and I were forced in the very beginning of our walk of faith to believe for a hundredfold and God has honored it all these years. And the, the, the hundredfold that hasn't come in yet. That's the reason I said, not yet, but I'm never giving up on it. I said, I will never give up on it. Hallelujah. You knew what you want to, but I am never giving up on the hundredfold. And when it happens, I'll, I'll send you a postcard. Hallelujah. Amen. So why not go for the maximum? Amen. So that was the word for 2023. And I've preached it all over the world. And we've, we've received some of the greatest testimony. Now, Eric is employed by our ministry, but he also has a business that he's had for a number of years. And he still uh, has, operates that business. And, and uh, uh, from time to time, he has to go out and, and take care of the business. And, uh, and then as soon as he takes care of it, he's back traveling with us again. He travels all over the world with me. But he's told me all year long that he's had the absolute finest year he's ever had in the history of his business because he believed for the maximum. Yeah. Am I telling it right? Amen. Yeah, and he tells people, uh, believe the prophet and you'll prosper. Yes. Amen. Believe, believe ye the prophets and you'll prosper, praise God. Amen. So he's just one testimony uh, of thousands that we've received from all over the world of people experiencing the maximum, Amen. experiencing the highest level attainable. They're, they're, they're not settling for what they used to settle for. Right. Amen. 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 Now, when I say we're not settling for what we used to settle for, we're not talking about being ungrateful. I'm grateful for everything God has done, but I know there's more. Why do I know there's more? Because I have not seen, ear hath not heard, neither have entered the heart of man. The things, the things, everybody say the things. Hallelujah. The things that God has prepared for those that love him. Well, Jerry Savelle, you're just materialistic minded. No, I'm not. You don't know me that well. You ask anybody that does know me that well, I am not materialistic minded. But if God wants to bless me, I'm not going to say, don't do it because somebody might misunderstand. <laughs> Amen? Yeah, I'm blessed. And I make no apologies for it. Hallelujah. I said I'm blessed and I make no apologies for it, praise God. And, and, and I'm, I'm about to be even more blessed, praise God. Why? Because I'm going for the maximum. I'm going for the maximum. 
Didn't the Bible say, and all these blessings will come on thee and overtake thee? Well, I haven't received all of them yet. So there must be more to receive. Look at somebody say, I'm going for the, all the blessings. All the blessings. Hallelujah. Anybody want all the blessings? Well, why don't we give the Lord a shout in advance? Hallelujah. All these blessings. Glory to God. So that's what I've been preaching all over the world in 2023. And I know it's not up yet, but after I receive the prophetic word for the new year, I'm already in it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. Once I receive it, I step over in yes, it. And every year when I receive that prophetic word that I'm to take to the world, I say to the Lord, after I receive it, I say, Lord, if you don't mind, Confirm this in my life and ministry now so when I take it to the rest of the world, it will add validity to it. Amen? And that's exactly what God's done every year. So it's all, this prophetic word I'm about to share with you is already happening to me. And it's already happening to others as well that have, that have heard me preach. Now, normally, I don't preach it anywhere besides my own church I spend three Sundays preaching it to my own church before I take it to the rest of the world. But because of my schedule, I've only got to do part one at the church. Now, next Sunday, I'll get to do part two. And the Sunday after that, I'll get to do part three. Then, besides you people, uh, nobody else has heard it. I'm taking it to the rest of the world Two Sundays from now, praise God, okay? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So, are you ready? Yes. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, now, here, here's what the Lord said to me just at the first part of October. And he, he said it in such a way that it was, the way I received it, go to 2 Timothy. Hold your place in Luke. And look at 2 Timothy for a moment, because this is the way I felt it was coming to me, the way Paul said this. Uh, let's see. No, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and look at verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. Now that's the way I heard it from the Lord with an urgency. He speaketh expressly. In other words, this is urgent. Uh, what, what he was about to say to me, tell the body of Christ when you teach it, that it is mandatory. It is a must. And that's what I'm trying to come across with. It's, it's what, what he told me to tell you, the three instructions and then what it will produce, the three instructions are mandatory if you want what it will produce. Yes. Is that, that clear? I'm trying to yes. say it in such a way. Yes. So here's what he said. Number one, he said, tell them it is mandatory to stay in faith going into 2024. Stay in faith. Write these things down if you take notes or Put them on your notepad or your iPad or whatever it is. Number one, stay in faith. Number two, stay focused on the promises of God. Number three, 
Do not allow anything that's happening in the world around you to distract you. If you will follow these instructions, then your 2024 will be a year of progression, a year of advancement, a year of promotion, and your highest expectations will be fulfilled. Hallelujah. I thought you'd be a little more excited about that. So number one, stay in faith. Look at your neighbor and say, stay in faith. Now, why would God tell us that? Because there's a lot of believers that have relaxed their faith, particularly since COVID. Amen. Relaxed their faith. And the Bible says the just shall live by faith. That is not a suggestion. It is a command. Another translation says the just shall have their lives sustained by their faith. It's how, it's how your life is sustained. It's how uh, uh, the needs that you have in your life are fulfilled and provided for. It's through faith. The Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. And yet there are a lot of members of the body of Christ, including preachers that I know, that have let go of the faith. Okay? Number two, stay focused on the promises of God. What, what causes Christians to lose focus? Distractions. Yes. That was the third thing he said. Yes. Don't let anything that's happening in the world around you to distract you. And if you will follow these instructions, then I will cause your 2024 to be a, a year of progression, a year of advancement, and a year of promotion and a a year in which your highest expectations will be fulfilled. Hallelujah. Anybody like progressing? Does anybody like regressing? No, No, that's the opposite. It's not the will of God that we regress. God's instructions and God's direction is always go forward. Go forward. That's the reason when people ask me to come and uh, speak in their retreats, I turn them down. I don't retreat. I go forward. <laughs> I told one, one pastor, I said, if you will have an advance, I'll come do it, but I'm not retreating with you. Now I know it's a, you know, a little picky, but, but uh, I, don't, I don't think in terms of retreating. I think in terms of advancing. Amen. I'm going forward. Did you know there is a scripture in the Bible that reveals why people regress? Would you like to hear it? Yes. You got another finger somewhere? Yes. Go to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Now, if you're regressing, we know why after you read this. Isaiah chapter 1. And look at verse 4. A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel under anger. They are gone away backward. That's regressing. And notice why they're regressing. They have forsaken the Lord to forsake the Lord, forsake His Word. They have provoked Him. In other words, they, they have uh, uh, 
They've angered him, so to speak, for the lack of a better way of saying it. And they've angered him because Psalm 78 says, because their hearts were not set aright. And they were constantly murmuring and complaining. And they didn't trust God. No matter how many miracles he performed for them, the next time they had another challenge, they forgot the miracles and they started murmuring and complaining again and it provoked him. And it goes on to say in Psalm 78 verse 41, and they limited the Holy One of Israel. They, they limited him from doing what he wanted to do. And it's the same way today. God's people limit him because of these same uh, uh, principles. So if, if you describe your life as I'm always going backwards, well, you just made a, you just made a, 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 a confession. So uh, you're always going backwards. So you've forsaken God. Have you left his word? Is the word of no value to you anymore? That's how you go backwards. Uh, have you provoked God through unbelief and murmuring and complaining? That's how you go backwards. But nobody in here is going backwards, right? Praise God. We're all going forward. Hallelujah. Let us go to the other side. Amen. So there are reasons for why people go backwards. Amen. Now, usually they want to blame somebody else. You know, that's never impressed God. When Adam messed up, he said, what's your problem, son? That woman you gave me. I was doing fine till you made her. Did you notice God didn't go over and slap you three or four times? How dare you? My son was doing fine till I made you. Now, it didn't impress God at all. And it still doesn't. You know, there have been times when I wanted to say to the Lord, uh, that woman you gave me. <laughs> but no, it's not Carolyn. You know, I learned a long time ago, if things are not working the way God said they'd work, then I go look in the mirror and point at that image in the mirror and say, it's your fault, boy. You straighten up, you correct these things, and it'll work for you. In fact, do this. Put your finger right in front of your face and say this. I'm glad I came to church tonight. I got a revelation. If there's any problems in my life, I discovered where they're coming from. Now do this. That's where they're coming from. Amen. Don't put the blame on anybody else. So we don't want to talk about regressing. We won't talk about going forward. Praise God. So, now, I want you to um, go with me to Luke chapter 22, talking about uh, staying in faith. And we're going to major on that tonight, and then we'll probably cover the other two more so tomorrow night. Staying in faith. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Now, the word sift means to extract. He says, Satan is trying to extract something out of your life. The word uh, sift means to extract or to remove something and to do so with force, to take out or to draw out something. 
So Jesus said, Satan has desired to sift you, take something out, extract something from you. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, the first time I read that way back in 1969, I was shocked. In fact, I walked into the room where Carolyn was and I said, Carolyn, I have found a misprint in the Bible. She said, that's not a misprint in the Bible. I said, yes, it is right here. She said, what are you talking about? I said, this says that Jesus prayed for Simon that his faith wouldn't fail. I'd never heard a sermon. I'd heard Kenneth Copeland. I'd heard Kenneth Hagin. I'd heard Oral Roberts. I'd heard T.L. Osmond, my four mentors. And I'd never heard one of them say, uh, faith can do this and faith can do that, but don't get your hopes up because faith might fail. I'd never heard a sermon that there was a possibility that faith would fail. So that's the reason I thought it was a misprint. Now, we didn't have all the translations in 1969 that we have today. In fact, the Amplified Bible was just coming out. And so I went to a Christian bookstore to try to find another translation or something that would explain to me what this meant. And, uh, you know, one translation said something about, uh, I, I pray that uh, you won't turn back or something like that. But then I found a Greek lexicon. And I'm not a Greek scholar. I can't pronounce Greek, but I can read a lexicon. And this really helped me. And I think it'll help you as well. In the little Greek, when it says, I pray that your faith fail not, it says in the little Greek, I pray that your faith will not be reduced to inactivity. Now that's a difference. I pray that your faith will not be reduced to inactivity because inactive faith is faith that's not producing anything. Amen? Faith that's not producing anything. Now, I was talking about this a couple of nights ago and uh, I, I, during, during my time with the Lord before going into that meeting, I got some fresh notes on this. And I wrote it down. I'm just going to read it to you the way I wrote it down. Beware of inactive faith or faith that has been reduced to inactivity. Real Bible faith is living, working, and vibrant. When faith becomes inactive, it also becomes nonproductive. And that is not the way God designed it to be. Why does anyone's faith ever become inactive? The number one reason? Distractions. Many times Jesus asked his disciples this question, where is your faith? Other times he said it like this, how is it that you have no faith? In other words, what he was saying was, and I'm just saying it, Savell paraphrase, I don't see it being activated. Is that okay? Where's your faith? How is it that you have no faith? In other words, I'm not seeing your faith activated. So that would describe faith uh, being inactive, faith that's, that's not operative. And the reason why that happens to so many Christians is because of their distractions. They allow distractions. Do you have any idea how many people were distracted, Christians distracted during COVID? And some of them have never recovered? They're still distracted? 
Now, when, when we had to shut our church down for a short time, our governor in Texas was a whole lot leanier than most of the other governors across the nation. And we didn't have to be shut down for very long at all. But, you know, there, at first, uh, there was just a handful of people in the service. And then when, when the restrictions were released, people started coming back, but not all of them came back. Not all of them came back. And we didn't, we didn't tell anybody, you have to wear a mask or you don't have to wear a mask. We said, you just come how you're comfortable. You know, we don't put in any regulations or stipulations. Just if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Okay? We're not going to condemn those who wear the mask. Don't condemn me because I don't wear a mask. Okay? We're just going to have church. And, and uh, a, a, a lot of our people did not come back. Okay? And then our uh, African-American congregation, for the most part, uh, they, I, and I don't know why, uh, but I, I, I assume they uh, feared being more susceptible. I don't know, because many of them, and, and we'd had a mixed congregation, but many of them didn't come back. And then eventually those that did come back, they wore masks. Now, nobody wears a mask in the church now. And, and the ones that, that never came back, they still haven't come back. Uh, it wasn't long. God is filling up their seats. I mean, we had, we, I mean, our church has grown during all this time. You know, and we're in a, we're in a building program now to build a new auditorium. But there were people that got so distracted with that and they've never recovered from it. And as a result, they've re, they've reduced their faith to inactivity. Now I told Justin, our pastor, I'm the founding pastor, but I'm not there that much. I'm, I'm, I may preach 8, 10, 12 times at the most all year long at, at our church. Sometimes I get up and I have to introduce myself. I'm your founding pastor. <laughs> you know? But we have wonderful pastors and they do a great job. And, and uh, I told Justin, uh, when, when COVID hit, I said, I'm going to set up a fund for anybody in our church that loses their job or or has, t- has a hard time meeting ends, you know, uh, I'm going to set up a fund and you let them know that if they need financial help, that they can withdraw from that. And, uh, and I said, but don't, 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 don't insinuate that it's just open to anybody for any reason. Okay. If you're struggling and you've lost your job or, or whatever during COVID, then we have this account. We don't want you going without you. Don't, we don't want your children not being fed. We don't want them not being clothed. Uh, you come and you let us know that you need this. And I said, Justin, you keep a record of it. And then just let me know at the end of the month how much has been taken out of it. And then I'll determine if we need to add some more to it. After the first quarter there were only two people who needed to withdraw or take some funds out of it. And I told Justin, our theme at our church is making winners in life. That's our theme, making winners in life. I said, Justin, we're fulfilling our assignment. Only two people out of several hundred people had to have financial help. And then two more came later and it wasn't really 
for them, it was for some of their relatives who didn't go to our church. And we helped them. So I said, Justin, we're doing a good job. We're making winners in life. They, they've learned how to use their faith. They've learned how to stay on top yeah. in a crisis. Hallelujah. Yes. Amen. Amen. Felt, made me feel real good that we are, we, are, we are fulfilling what God told us to do in making winners out of the people in our congregation. Praise yes. God. Yes. Amen. Yes. So notice here, Jesus is praying that Peter's faith will not be reduced to inactivity. Yes. That's a major problem in the body of Christ today. I've also met a lot of pastors and preachers that that they've they've relaxed their faith. They're not not believing uh, as they once did. They're not pursuing uh, the things of God as they once did. And so notice here he says, I prayed that your faith will not be reduced to inactivity. Now, let me go ahead and finish these notes. Jesus said, where's your faith? How is it that you have no faith? Savelle paraphrased, I don't see it being activated. And the Bible does prove to us that faith can be seen. Faith can be seen. Even though it's a spiritual force that doesn't come from the head, comes from the heart, but faith can be seen. Remember the story of of, uh, the, the, the guys that went and had a friend and uh, they took him to this house where Jesus was teaching and they carried him on a stretcher. And when they got to the place where Jesus was teaching, they couldn't get in. The place was packed out. They couldn't get through the door. I picture them uh, going and, and looking in a window to see if they could get him in a window. The place is packed out. They couldn't get him in. And, and, but they weren't going to take no for an answer. Because the Bible said, as Jesus was teaching, the power of the Lord was present to heal. Amen. And so they were determined to get their friend healed. And they climbed up on top of the house and began to tear the roof off and lowered the man down in the presence of Jesus. And when Jesus looked up and saw what they were doing, the Bible says, and when he saw their faith. When he saw their faith, faith can be seen through corresponding actions. Okay. Now, when your faith has been reduced to inactivity, then Jesus is not seeing your faith. He responds to faith that can be seen. He responds to faith that can be heard. Amen. It's what we uh, uh, begin speaking out of our mouths and our actions that he responds to. And so here it says, where's your faith? How is it that you have no faith? In other words, I don't see faith being activated. And faith that's not being activated is faith that's not producing anything. You know, what's the purpose of God giving us faith and tells us that it'll move mountains? It's our method of victory over the world. Uh, It changes impossible things into possible and then we just do nothing with it. That's like I heard uh, Oral Roberts on one of his old tent crusades one time. He, he said, uh, turn your faith loose. He said, 
I've heard some of you come up in the prayer line and say, well, Brother Roberts, I've got all the faith in the world. He said, that's your problem. You still got it. Turn it loose. Amen. Amen. Turn it loose. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, keep your faith active. Turn it loose. Hallelujah. Now, when he asked him this question or these questions, because they had uh, become distracted. And if you read these stories where it says, when he asked the question, where's your faith? How is it that you have no faith? Read the whole story and you'll see a distraction. You'll see a distraction. Remember when he got in the ship, he just got through teaching and he got in the ship and said, let's go to the other side. And he went in the back of the ship and went to sleep fully expecting them to take him to the other side. Yes. Now, I've been on that Sea of Galilee. Uh, I took a group over there years ago. I used to take my Bible school students every year. The first year students, the last thing they do before they graduated, we'd take them to Israel. And, uh, and then uh, uh, Jesse and Kathy Duplantis and a couple of other friends of mine had never been. And they said, would you organize a tour and, and that, that we can go with you sometime? So it was just about... Uh, what, seven or eight couples, okay? And so uh, one day we got in a boat and we're on the Sea of Galilee and the captain said to me, and there were other people on the boat that were not part of our group, and the captain said to me, Preacher, do you want to preach on the Sea of Galilee like Jesus? I said, sure. He said, well, here's your microphone. Now we're out on the sea, beautiful, calm day. Wasn't a cloud in the sky. And so I just started preaching, you know, and, and of course our group, they're all amen and everything. And some of the folks that, that were not part of our group, eventually they began to enter in, you know, and, and so forth. And then I, I told Jesse, I said, now I'm going to preach a little while and I'm going to tag you and you can, you can close it up, close it out. So I reached over and tagged Jesse and he started preaching. And in a little while, I'm telling you, it got so dark out there. Yeah, I mean, there was a storm brewing. And the captain told me, he said, tell that preacher to shut up. He's preached up a storm. <laughs> I said, Jesse, shut up. You're in the back of the boat. You preached up a storm. Now, that's exactly the way it was that day that Jesus got in that boat with the disciples and said, let's go to the other side. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. He went to sleep in the back of the ship. And all of a sudden, and the captain told me that that happens quite frequently there on that Sea of Galilee. Yeah, a beautiful, clear day, and all of a sudden, a storm brewing. And that's what happened. And, and it frightened the disciples. And they went back there and woke him up and said, Don't you care we perish? And Jesus got up, and it's a beautiful story how he rebuked the wind, he rebuked the waves, and they reached the shore safely. But then he turned to them and said, Where was your faith? What happened? Distractions. Distractions. Now, obviously, it's not a major storm that's distracting most of us here. It could be something you saw on CNN. And by the way, faith does not come by watching CNN. Faith goeth by, not, by watching CNN. <laughs> There does something come, discouragement, oppression, heaviness, sorrow. 
faith cometh by hearing the word. And that's the problem with a lot of Christians. They, they're, they're, they're focusing on the wrong thing and it's causing their faith to become inactive. Amen. Now, let me give you an example. Years ago during the PTL scandal. Okay. Now my television broadcast was on the PTL network and I did, I did programs with Jim Baker from time to time and, uh, you know, go fly up there and, and be on the PTL program with him and Tammy. And, uh, uh, when that scandal broke out, I mean, television, traveling evangelist stock was at an all time low. If you know what I mean. I mean, they, they were accusing us all. In fact, let me incorporate another story in this story. I was flying from Dallas, Fort Worth to Los Angeles. And I'm setting up in the bulkhead and on American Airlines on the aisle. And in comes a man who sits in the seat next to me by the window. And this man was Bruce Jenner when Bruce Jenner was a man. Okay. He hadn't become whatever he is now. Weird. But anyway, uh, he, he was, he had just won the decathlon at the Olympics. And I, when I sat down next to him, I said, uh, Mr. Jenner, I called him Mr. Jenner. I said, Mr. Jenner, I just want you to know you brought a lot of joy to me watching you in the Olympics. I said, uh, uh, amazing what you accomplished and I congratulate you. And, uh, and I said, and also I understand you were in Dallas for the reason they were having a race down in town Dallas and everybody was driving a new Corvette and that's a long time ago. And I said, uh, how'd you do on the race? He said, I, I came in third. He said, I did pretty good. He said, you know, Every car was equipped exactly the same, same horsepower. It was not uh, so much horsepower as it was skill because we all drove in, driving the same car. And he said, and I, I came in third. And, uh, and so we got to talking. We first of all talked Olympics and then we talked Corvettes. And I, I've been driving Corvettes since I was 16 years old. My dad was a Corvette specialist. What I don't know about Corvettes, they haven't invented yet, okay? <laughs> And if you want to talk Corvettes, let's talk Corvettes. I know Corvettes. Okay. So we started talking Corvettes, talking horsepower, talking engine, talking ratios, you know, gear ratio, everything. And then we started somehow got on boxing. Well, I've been a boxing enthusiast all my life. I've, I've, I've had the privilege of mentoring some professional boxers, some world champions. I've been to many of the, of the fights of the century. You know, ringside seat. Usually they set me right behind Muhammad Ali, you know. And, and I know boxing. And I could tell you the ratings. I'd tell you who was champion in every class. I mean, I know boxing. In fact, my, my wife used to get so tickled me when there was boxing on TV. Man, I, I, I can't just sit there and watch it. I'm throwing punches. I'm, I'm, man, when that bounce over, I need a shower and a rub down. Man, I'm, I am worn out. Uh, she's coming in there and I'm ducking and I'm throwing punches. <laughs> I used to box in college, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and I get into it. And then, you know, I had the privilege of meeting Evander Holyfield. Yes. I went, I went to watch Holyfield try out for the Olympics. I went to the Los Angeles Olympics to watch him 
I watched him when he turned pro. I went to many of his fights uh, after he fought Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson bit his ear off. About two months later, Evander was in my airplane flying with me on a meeting and I deliberately put him on the left side so I could look at that ear. (laughs) And every time I would preach at Creflo's church, that's where Evander went to church there uh, for a a season. Every time I would go there, if Evander wasn't in training, then he'd come and spend time with me between the two services and we'd talk about the Lord and we'd talk boxing and we'd talk about boxing and we'd talk about the Lord, you know. And, and so I know boxing. So somehow or another, Bruce and I got to talk about boxing. And finally he said, you seem to know a lot about sports. Do you work for ESPN? <laughs> I said, no, I don't. He said, uh, he said well, what do you do? You, you seem to know a lot about cars, race cars, sports. I said, I'm a minister. I'm a preacher. Now this is Right. During the PTL scandal, Bruce Jenner raised up out of his seat and looked around and he said, I wouldn't say that too loud. You know, you preachers are having a lot of trouble. I said, are you still an athlete? He said, yes. I raised up just like he did and I said, I wouldn't say that too loud. You folks are having more trouble than we are. (laughs) Never said another word to me. (laughs) Never said another word to me the whole trip. (laughs) I put him down. (laughs) But my my point in telling that part of that story was there were people driving by our house with cameras, helicopters, all that stuff during during that PTL scandal and then right behind it, Jimmy Swaggart scandal. And now all of a sudden, Television preachers, television evangelists, you know, they're the scum of the earth. And we were were catching a lot of flack. So Carol and I, we'd never done this before, but we were about to uh, purchase a new car for Carolyn. And every year, about every three years, I'd purchase her a new car. And it was a time where we were about to get her in a new car. And she said, don't get me a new car. I said, why not? She said, I don't want people thinking, you know, we're stealing the money buying cars. I said, are we? She said, no. I said, then what do I care what people think? She said, well, right now it's, you know, it's not a good time to, you know, to buy buy new cars and all that because of the scandals. And so we didn't. We just kind of, we just kind of let what the world thought about preachers kind of stifle us. And then one day the Lord said to me, are you ashamed of my blessings? I said, no, I'm not. He said, then don't ever be. No matter what's going on in the world, don't ever be ashamed that I've blessed you. I said, Carolyn, get in the car. We're going to get a new car. (laughs) Amen. And we hadn't looked back since, praise God. Amen. Now, for the first time, We've got neighbors. I'm I'm a country boy. I like my space. And we were out in the country for 30 years. Closest neighbor, five miles away. (laughs) Now Fort Worth has all come uh, uh, to us. And now I got neighbors. (laughs) 
And one old guy comes by in his truck. And if I happen to be out in the front yard, he rolls his window down. Hey, preacher. And I might be out there. You know, I'm I'm still a classic car enthusiast. I have a museum full of classic cars. I like to get them out. The worst thing you can do with a classic car is just let it set up. So I drive them, you know. I take them out. I clean them up. I, I still, that's my hobby. And I might be out there cleaning you know, detailing, take, getting ready to take it to a car show. And this guy drives by in his truck, rolls the window. Hey, preacher, did you steal the money to buy that car? Then he rolls his window up and drives off real fast. Doesn't give me any opportunity to respond. So I caught him one day. I hid in the bushes. (laughs) Waiting for him to drive by. Jumped out and I said, no, it's hard work and trust in God. Try it. <laughs> he never said another word to me. <laughs> you know, people people can be a distraction and cause you to relax your faith. Well, we don't want anybody thinking. They're going to think it anyway. Amen. Go ahead and enjoy the blessings. Don't stop believing God because of what somebody might think. They're going to think it anyway. Jesus is the only person who never sinned, was perfect, and they didn't all like him. They accused him of things. He cast out devils, and they said, the reason you could do that, you got a devil. But notice he didn't say, okay, boys, I'm done. You're on your own now. I'm going back to heaven. I can't take it down here. No, he just kept fulfilling his mission. Amen. Just kept going forward. Hallelujah. That's God's direction always in our lives. No matter what's going on in the world around us, God expects us to keep going forward. Amen. Put your right hand up like this. And when I say, let's go to the other side, then you point that way. Let's go to the other side. Amen. That's always God's direction. Go to the other side because on the other side, there's experiences you haven't had yet. Hallelujah. Amen. Give the Lord a shout if you believe it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Something around them in every story where he has to ask, where's your faith? How is it you have no faith? Keep reading it. You'll see a distraction. And that's what got their attention and caused them to relax their faith. Fear has a way of stifling your faith. God didn't give us the spirit of fear. But if you listen to the wrong things, fear comes and faith goes. You never find anybody who operates in great faith and great fear at the same time. One one negates the other. So fear has a way of stifling your faith and causing it to become constrained and reduced to inactivity. This is what happened to the disciples many times as you can read in those stories. Now, Jesus made this statement. Once the word is sown in someone's heart, then Satan cometh immediately to steal it or to take it away. Now, you would think if a Christian read that parable, okay, and see, that's what I'm doing. I'm sowing the word into you. 
And Jesus said, once the word is sown, Satan comes immediately. I always like to add, if not sooner. <laughs> he comes immediately. That means between here and your car. He comes immediately to take away what was sown in your heart. Why does he want what's sown in your heart? Because it's the word that produces faith. And if he can get the word out of you, then he can cause your faith to become inactive. And if your faith becomes inactive, then you cannot, you cannot stop his operations. Amen. It's all connected. He's after the word, which produces faith. So if he gets the word out of you, he gets your faith out of you. Amen. So my, my thinking is, if a Christian reads that parable, then I would think they were in a place of advantage. Because do any of you remember when you first heard the word? The first time you heard the word of faith? I mean, I remember it like it's yesterday, and that was 54 years ago. I heard Brother Copeland teaching on healing. By stripes were healed. We're redeemed from the curse. And I just grabbed hold of it. I, and I told Carolyn, I said, Carolyn, our days of sickness and disease are over. If this is true, our days of sickness and disease are over. Amen. The next day I had all the symptoms of the flu. <laughs> I couldn't even get out of bed. Yeah, that's what he does. I mean, I felt like a dog, a whip dog. And the first thought that came to me, well, I guess what he said wasn't so. I mean, if I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus, why am I feeling so bad? See, Satan was trying to steal the word. And then I remembered that's the parable that Kenneth Copeland was teaching on. And I said, wait a minute. This is exactly what Jesus said would happen. So that gave me an advantage knowing that, yes, God still wanted me healed. It was Satan trying to steal the word that was producing my healing. I jumped up out of that bed as, as best as I could. And, and I said this, uh, Carolyn came in there and I said, she said, are you doing better? I said, in the natural, I'm not doing better, but healed men don't stay in bed all day. So I'm getting up and I'm, I'm believing God that as I put my faith to work, Amen. put corresponding actions yes. to my faith, that I'll be well. And, and with a matter of less than two hours, every symptom left me, praise God. And I realized that anytime you hear the word, then if you come under attack, don't think, well, it must not been the will of God. No, it's Satan trying to steal the word. If he steals the word, he can get your faith to be reduced to inactivity. And if your faith is reduced to inactivity, then there is nothing being produced in your life. It's all connected, folks. It's all connected. So here's what the Lord told me to tell you. Going into 2024, Stay in faith. I wish I could say it the way I heard it in my spirit. I mean, it was, it was loud. It was with forth. Tell them, stay in faith. Stay in faith. Like it wasn't an option. That's a must. Look at your neighbor and, and with a little force say, stay in faith. Amen. And then he added this. Stay focused on the promises of God. Don't let anything in the world distract you. And if you'll follow these instructions, then your 2024, you're going to see progression. You're going to see advancement. You're going to see promotion. And your highest expectations will be fulfilled. 
Hallelujah. Could we put that picture up again of my, one of my highest expectations that is going to come to pass? I believe during the first quarter of 2024, that's one of my highest expectations. That's, that's the plane I'm flying now on steroids. Okay. It'll fly higher. It'll fly further. It takes me four stops from Fort Worth to Gold Coast, Australia, and the plane I'm in now, two stops in that plane. The plane I have now seats 11 people, 14 in that one. Hallelujah. And notice a pastor had this done for me the other day in Miami. Notice it says project completed. He said, Brother Jerry, I know you call things to be not as though they were, so I went ahead and added that. Project completed. Everybody point at that and say, project completed. Hallelujah. So I said, why do you need a bigger airplane? Well, just follow me around for about a month and you'll see. Amen. That's not a, that's not a luxury to me. It's a tool. I can't do what I'm called to do without it. No more than pastor can do what he's called to do without a building. That's my flying building. Amen. That's my flying sanctuary. And you, you, you can't even imagine how many sermons I get in the, in setting in that plane. Praise God. Hallelujah. So that's one of my highest expectations for 2024. And I'm going to follow the instructions. Stay in faith. Stay focused on the promises. Do not allow anything in the world to distract you. And the next time you see me, that's what I'll come up in here. Come here in, praise God. Hallelujah. Now, what are your highest expectations? What do you believe in God for? What's the desires of your heart that you're believing God to fulfill? Well, don't let go of them. Stay in faith. Stay focused on the promises. Don't allow anything in the world to distract you. You're going to progress. You're going to advance. You're going to be promoted. And you're going to have your highest expectations fulfilled in 2024. I'm saying more in 2024. Hallelujah. Everybody say it with me. More in 2024. Give the Lord your best shout. Hallelujah. Amen. Inactive faith will not produce God's best in your life. On the other hand, active faith will position you to receive all that God says is yours. Amen. And then I'll close it with these three statements. Active faith moves God. Active faith obtains the promises. Active faith refuses to be defeated. Amen. Active faith moves God. Active faith receives the promises, and active faith refuses to be defeated. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Trust me, folks, it's going to be vitally important to stay in faith going into 2024. I mean, who would have thought 2023 with what's happening in the world? Did anybody see any of this coming in 2022? Well, what do you suppose is going to happen in the world in 2024? Because it's not getting any better. It gets worse for them, but it can be better for God's people if they stay in faith, stay focused, and don't be distracted. While they're, while they're pulling their hair out, we're growing hair. Praise God. Hallelujah. 
Now I need a little, little, little back here, you know. Lost a little bit. Hallelujah. God remembers that. And God, God knows every hair on your head. And for those of us that have lost a few hairs, he remembers the original count. Praise God. Amen. It's going to be a good year. I said it's going to be a good year. Hallelujah. If we stay in faith, if we stay focused, if we refuse to be distracted, hallelujah, you're going to progress like never before. You're going to advance like never before. You're going to experience promotions like never before. And right along with it, as a bonus from God, your highest expectations fulfilled. Hallelujah. Come on, stand up and give him your best shout. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 Is that your best shout? Give him your best shout. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Praise his name. Praise his name. Praise his name. Hallelujah. jumping, jump. If you feel like running, run. If you feel like shouting, shout. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you feel like dancing, dance. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, my, my heritage is Native American, Cherokee. And every once in a while, when the spirit of joy comes on me, I become Cherokee. Hey, hey, hey. Glory. And last year, I got adopted into the Navajo tribe and the Lakona tribe. So I got Cherokee, Navajo, and Lakota. Hey, hey, hey. somebody in here get a little happy. Yeah. Happy. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory. I decree over everybody within the sound of my voice in 2024, you will not relax your faith. Your faith will not become inactive. You will stay focused on the promises of God. And nothing going on in the world will distract you. And I proclaim in Jesus' name, it will be a year of progressing, advancing, promotion, highest, highest expectations fulfilled in the name of Jesus. And by the time I get back here next year, you'll have testimonies that will cause a hair on our neck to stand up and take a month to get it to lay down again. Hallelujah. Amen. to God. Don't, don't take that off. Have a seat. Have a seat. Just keep that on for a second, Brother Jerry. Uh, I don't want to give details, 
Brother Jerry, because I don't think it's necessary. But I want to tell you something. And I don't talk to the congregation about this, so some of them, this is the first time they're hearing this, because I don't believe in publicizing certain things. But in all 15 years of this church, we've just celebrated 15 years, this has been the hardest financial year for us as a congregation. We had a wonderful year in 2020 despite COVID, a tremendous year, 2021. We broke records. 2022 was excellent. For some reason, this year has just been slugging every single week. And I don't really know why. So a couple of times I've said to them, you know, if you're not tithing, you need to tithe. If you're not giving, but the Lord said, don't, don't, don't berate the people. So they have to figure it out. If they're not going to do it, that's their business. But it has been a slug fest. My wife knows every single week. And, you're, and I said to myself a little while ago, about three months ago, I said, Father, it seems to be, I don't know what else to call it, but it seems that we're in a financial famine. I can't figure this out. So I said to Jenny, I'm going to go pray and I'm going to make sure that we're not doing anything wrong because that can block things. So I looked at every area of our life. We looked at our marriage. We looked at our children. We looked at we looked at our staff, we looked at what we were doing, our schedule, and the Lord had us tweak some things, the Lord had us repent of some things, nothing major, but just things that I didn't want anything to hinder us. The Lord told me to make corrections with the staff, which I did, to bring more unity, and just didn't seem to turn anything. So I said, well, Lord, I'm doing everything I know to do right. I'm not perfect, but I'm doing everything within my power to please you. And it's still a slugfest. And I don't understand why, because it has never been this way ever. And he never spoke to me. He never said a word to me. So I said, well, Lord, if you're not saying anything to me, then I guess, you know, I don't need to know right now. I'm just going to keep standing in faith and all that stuff. Uh, but <clears throat> when you said yesterday when you preached, you said when you're praying in the Holy Ghost and you're believing for direction, right, for, for, for breakthrough or for whatever, oftentimes a seed will be attached with that. So I felt my spirit move a little bit, but he didn't say anything further. So I thought, okay, well, we'll sow something. You know, we always top up the offerings anyway. So I said, we'll add something as a church to whatever comes in. And I left it at that. I didn't think anything. But then you, then you start talking at the beginning of the service about Jesus appearing to you. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, listen closely. And you said the same words that I've been saying to the Lord. It seems like a financial famine. And you said, told us what you did with Brother Copeland, that you, God gave you that amount, and you gave a personal amount, and it was kind of the last that you had. So as I'm sitting there, I heard the Holy Ghost say, and if you want to get out of it, you need to do the same thing. So I said, okay, I'll give $11,000. <laughs> and the Holy Ghost spoke to me just as loud as, I, it, it sounded audible, but it obviously wasn't, just as loud as I'm talking to you, and I heard him say, you're going to sow $50,000 from the church, which is the last bit that you have in your account, and then you're going to sow another 5000 from your personal life, because we need a breakthrough in some areas, and our church needs a breakthrough in some areas, and you did it publicly. I said, well, I'll tell him in the back room, and I heard him say he did it publicly. I said, Lord, I don't want to draw attention to this. He said, I heard him. He did it publicly with Brother Copeland and handed him 11 checks. And I want you to do the same thing as an example to your congregation uh, that we, we are living 
what we preach and what we hear. And I don't talk to the congregation about the needs of the ministry other than just be faithful. But it has been the hardest year of, in a long time. And so we are sowing a sacrificial seed tonight as a congregation to Jerry Savelle Ministries Canada and a personal seed from my wife and I. And sir, I would rather not do this publicly, but I heard him say, imitate what Brother Jerry did. So I, 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 I had my staff bring me a check, secretly covert operation while you were preaching. I filled it out myself. And I don't have any personal checks left. I mean, they're at home. So I'm doing an IOU that I'm going to bring you a check tomorrow for that when I can get my checks from my desk at home. And I ask you to please come. And on behalf of Jenny, come. And we represent the congregation. Now listen, congregation, listen to me very carefully. We are doing this as an example to you for the corporation, for the ministry, and for our personal lives, just like Brother Jerry did. You cannot piggyback for your personal life on what I am doing in my personal life or with the ministry. If you're in a financial famine or if you ever get, God forbid, into a financial famine, you have to do things yourself. And I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm not, this is not a manipulation. I'm telling you I heard God. And I said, Lord, I, why can't you just let me do, you told me to mimic him. I'll do 11,000. But I heard him clearly, and I've learned in my short life, I've learned to not disobey when he speaks that clearly. And what did he just prophesy? What about the card we just gave you? How many times did God just say breakthrough? He said it over and over again, and the Lord reminded me, he said, now you're going to sow the seed because the seed is connected to breakthrough. And there's a breakthrough coming to your congregation in terms of Promise of Life Corporation. And to, I believe us personally as well. And again, I'm not trying to influence anybody or I would rather not do this publicly, but I heard him just as loud as I heard the amount. He said, imitate and do it publicly as an example to your congregation. So, sir, you got your mic on. I just want you to pray and release your faith with us. And we're believing with you. Just pray in the spirit for a moment. Thank you, Lord. Okay, uh, I've got the way I want to say it. When, when God sent me to South Africa, shortly after that visitation, it was, it was a divinely orchestrated trip. Ray, Ray McCauley's church, Rayma Bible Training Center, and uh, Raymond Church, South Africa, was needing a financial breakthrough as well. And they got it. Major. Not only that, but it was divinely orchestrated that I be there for Rodney Howard Brown. Because yeah. that's the meeting right. that he sowed, he and his wife sowed all they had, believing to get to America and fulfill what God had called them to do. Now, I didn't know that until some time back. And uh, sometime later, I was at Mac Hammond's church and preaching on sowing and famine. I preached all over the world. And I had, we, we got testimonies, still getting testimonies, but we got testimonies of some of the greatest financial breakthroughs everywhere I preached it. Now, I never intended to preach that here but the Lord directed me while I was preaching. 
to, to bring that up, okay? So I believe I was just as much divinely directed to be here for such a time as this, for you guys, as I was for Ray, as I was for Rodney Howard Brown, and then Mac Hammond. I preached at his church one time, and then I laid hands on everybody in that service, which was close to 3,000 people, and believed with them for financial breakthroughs in their financial famine. I got home and a week later, Max said, we've just had one of the greatest financial breakthroughs we've ever had. One of the people that was in the service, a man and his wife, came to my office, Max telling me, came to my office and wanted to know if I could share a testimony with him. So he walks in there and says, Brother Mac, I just want you to know I sowed in famine. I've just had a financial breakthrough beyond anything I ever dreamed possible. He said, I'm bringing you the tithe from it. The tithe was $1.3 million. He just had a $13 million breakthrough. He was, he was praying. Now listen to this. Like what I was talking about last night. He was praying after he sowed that seed. His financial famine seed. And the Lord said, go upstairs in your attic and look in the box your mother and dad left you, like a, a chest. It was some stock that had been in that chest for years and years. And before his parents died, they were told it was worthless. And so he just didn't do anything with it, just left it in there. And the Lord said, go up and get that out of there. That stock turned out to be worth $13 million. And he brought the check, the tithe check to Mac for $1.3 million. Now, that's the kind of things that's happened everywhere I've preached this on so many things. Same thing happened at Creflo's church when he was building the dome. And uh, Creflo sowed $100,000 into my ministry. And he was believing to pay cash to finish that dome. He had financial miracles. He called me and said, we've had some of the greatest financial miracles. Then he said this. He said, if you're that good a ground, brother, I'm going to milk you. <laughs> and he sent another $100,000 offering. Okay. So everywhere I've preached on the sowing and famine, and that we put a book out on it. In fact, I preached it on my television broadcast, and Oral and Evelyn Roberts were watching it the day it came out. And Brother Roberts asked me to come to his office. And he said, I watched you preach on sowing in famine yesterday. And Evelyn and I, uh, we, we, need, we need the blessing of Isaac on us. So they sowed a seed. And then he said, now are you going to put that in a book? I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, well, you better hurry because I'm going to do it. And you call it sowing in famine. And I'm going to call it attack your lack. And, and Richard edited the book. <laughs> yeah. So our book has been out of print for years until Rodney Howard Brown shared that testimony with me and we put it back in print, the Sewing and Family book. It went all over the world, printed in several different languages. And everywhere we've preached it, major financial breakthroughs have happened. So it's not a coincidence, because I don't believe in coincidence, uh, I believe this has been a divine orchestrated trip at this time. Yes, 
Now, you've been trying to get me to come earlier last year and all these other times, and I told you I'd come back. But this has been a divinely orchestrated trip. And I believe with what you've done in obedience to God, the blessing of Isaac, the same year. You're coming out of this the same year. That's my decree. That's my confession. And I'm holding the word up in your behalf over it. So, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. We received these seeds into Jerry Savelle Ministries Canada. And we pray according to what you said to me in that visitation. That those who would be obedient to it would receive the blessing of Isaac. Hundredfold in the same year. Lord, it's October and it's November. But what's that to you? There are miracles in your word that took place in the self-same hour. There were miracles that took place before the day was up. There were miracles that took place within 24 hours. So what is a couple of months to you? So we're believing in Jesus' name that the financial famine that they've been experienced, that has been broken tonight in Jesus' name. Not only that, this offering breaks the back of the devil where this is concerned in Jesus' name. And he is helpless. He is, he is no longer able to have anything to do with the finances of this church, nor the finances of their personal lives in Jesus' name. And we thank you for it. We rejoice in it. And Lord, I'm expecting, this is one of my highest expectations as of now, to receive the testimony of this tremendous breakthrough in Jesus' name. Amen. If you believe it, give the Lord a shout. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Hallelujah. It's done. It's done. Now, God can do it through other people, but he's probably going to use some folks in here. So you better just watch out what God may do for you and how you can bring part of that or a tithe of that or whatever of that to, to help. But let's just a Holy Ghost figure that out. I'm not, I'm not limiting it to this congregation, but just be open. Hallelujah. God wants to bless you. Hallelujah. Amen. Don't you think that man that got $13 million, he, he was not thinking about uh, the 1.3. He was rejoicing about the 13. The 1.3 was a joy to return back to God. So let's just believe God for a turn. It turned out to be the largest tithe check in Mac Hammond's church that he had received at that time. Hallelujah. I asked Mac, I said, Mac, I want you to cover the man's name up. I want you to make a copy of the check. I want you to send it to me because I'm going to put it in my study. I'm going to frame it. I'm going to put it in my study. And I said, I'm going to write tithe checks like that. I visualize it. Put the vision in front of you. I'm going to write tithe checks like that. Praise God. So if, the, if God could use stock that was worthless and turn it into 13 million, what do you suppose he can do with you? Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So don't, don't limit him. Last, last August at one of Pastor Nancy's Miracle Crusades in, in Fredonia at Pastor Lachetic's church, she called me out 
And she said, I see a, I see a, in the spirit I see. And she said, Pastor Craig, I see. Uh, she said, the only way I can describe it is people walking up to you. And there are, it's almost like a movie, like they do in the movies. And she said, I see briefcases. And when the briefcase opens, there's stacks of, you know how they, you know, in the movies, they've got all the little ribbons around the money. You know, when they're doing a drug deal or something, here's a million dollars or whatever. And she said, I, I saw briefcases stacked up on your desk, piled full of money. She said, I know how it's going to happen. And I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's certainly going to happen. And she said, you need that for your new building. So we've been standing. Isn't that interesting? Last August, that was prophesied, and the devil just tries to put a squeeze on that this year, but it's broken. The back of it is broken tonight. Congregation, the back of it is broken tonight. Okay, you got me stirred up now. Come on, sir. <laughs> don't, don't forget, don't forget the wealth of the sinners laid up for the just. I had a man call me and ask me if I could meet him out at the airport where I keep my plane. He, was, he flew in from Denver and he was headed to Tulsa. He said, uh, I, I've only got a few minutes here at the airport. He said, uh, I have something for you. Can you come out and meet me? So I drove out there and he, he hands me a, a paper bag. He says, this is yours. I don't want a receipt for it. Don't ask me where I got it. <laughs> it's yours. He said, look in it. Now, I opened it, and it was uh, over $30,000 in cash. I folded it back up and handed it, and I said, what, what, where'd you get this? He said, don't ask me. He said, but God told me it's yours. And then he said this, and he told me to tell you this. I got it from the enemy's camp. Okay, so I, I come home, and I got this paper bag. And Carolyn said, what do you got in the paper bag? I said, sit down, girl. You're not going to believe this. I said, and I dumped it out on the, on the floor in my study. And that's when we found out that it was actually about $30,000. And uh, I said, I told her the story. And I said, he, won't, he wouldn't tell me where he got it. He don't want a receipt for it. It's for us personally. Years later, just before he went home to be with the Lord, I asked him, I said, tell me where you got that money. He said, I told you from the enemy's camp. He said, I want it in Vegas. <laughs> so don't forget the wealth of the sinners laid up for the just. Amen. <laughs> now I told that doesn't mean that they should go to Vegas. No, 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 <laughs> no, you're not the sinner. Uh, I told that story in a bunch of, uh, with a bunch of preachers one time, and, and, and one preacher said, you mean to tell me you kept that money that came out of Vegas? I said, yes, I sure did. did, and I used it to preach the gospel. He said, you kept that filthy lucre? I said, I cast all them filthy lucre devils off of it and used it for the gospel. <laughs> Amen. So who, who knows? Yeah. The wealth of the sinner. Yeah. The Amplified Bible says, and eventually it will come into the hands of those in whom it belongs. Well, we're the ones in whom it belongs. So you can say to the Father, Father, I don't know how you're going to do it, but if you choose to use the sinner, I'm open. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Don't put any limitations on God. 
Dr. Dufresne, the Pechanga Casino, which is in Murrieta, he told me once, he said, uh, I don't know if it was the owners or family members of the owners or something, but he said, somebody who ran that casino or something showed up. I don't know how many it was. I think it was like $50,000 and they handed it to him. And, uh, and he thought, should I take that? I mean, that's ungodly money. And the Holy Ghost said to him, as soon as it touches your hand, it's sanctified. And God said, you take that and use it for the kingdom because it's the wealth of the sinner. Amen. Money's not evil. It's how it's the people in its hands that are evil, not, not the money. Money's a tool. So praise God. We're going we're gonna to obey that word and we're not going to limit God. I'm just saying expect a miracle. Yes. Hallelujah. And if you're in a financial famine, sow whatever God tells you to sow. Because God is in the miracle business.